Are there no more cheap stocks to be found anywhere? You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It is Tuesday. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This is David Hansen. David, I, in, in honor of the NFL Combines going on right now, mm-hmm. I watched a, an old ESPN documentary about athletes going broke. Okay. He talked about all the ways, all the myriad ways they spend their, their millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars after the tax man gets a hold of it. If you were given an athlete-sized signing bonus, mm-hmm. what would be the first thing that you'd buy? Car wash. Car wash. That's what they all do, right? That, that is. That, Wasn't that you, one of the reasons? This? I think I have seen it. Netflix? Yeah. Netflix. Gotta buy the car wash. Why would you buy a car wash? It's a useful asset. Clean your cars. <laughs> it's good. I would get a butler. Oh, that, yeah. That would, be, that would be my first move. I would get a butler to be able to run errands for me and that sort of thing. It, bo- it shows how, how uh, selfish both of us are mm-hmm. because for most of these athletes, the first thing that they do is buy their parents a house of course. or a car. We're obviously not yeah. doing that. Not for me. That says, uh, that says a little bit about us. First headline of the day. This comes from the Wall Street Journal. Mount Gox disappears from the web in new setback. David, I didn't really want to talk about Bitcoin or Mount Gox again today. But we, can't, we couldn't really not talk about this one. This is sort of so much for the, the arbitrage opportunity I've been talking about. Mount Gox basically went dark last night. Right. And the rumor is that Mount Gox is missing... 750,000 Bitcoins. Now, at the Mount Gox, Mount Gox exchange rate, which was around $100. I 130 think before, bucks right before, before it went, went offline. You're talking about about seven, $75 million. Mm-hmm. But, but at, a, at a more realistic exchange rate on the other uh, exchanges, you're talking about five to six times that amount of money. This is, this is giant. Now, I, I, don't, I don't think this kills Bitcoin. I, I think there's going to be a lot of schadenfreude out there. Uh, a lot of talk about how, well, this is the end of Bitcoin, let's move on. I don't think this kills Bitcoin, but, but I think this actually increases the need for good technology around Bitcoin. We've seen a lot of venture capital investment yep. go into that, and I think that's only going to increase. I think the value of those companies is only going to increase because Mt. Gox has highlighted exactly what can happen when you have shoddy technology around something like this. doesn't kill Bitcoin, but it's certainly... Not good for Bitcoin. And the other rumor that was floating around was that Mt. Gox was insolvent. It was filing for bankruptcy. And we saw other exchanges. Based on, that, uh, on, the, exactly. on the balance sheet that we saw. Not surprising. Uh, we saw exchanges like Coinbase and Circle come out and say, hey, we're, we're standing not. together. <laughs> we're fine. Mt. Gox is the problem. We're moving on. going to help the industry here. So Mt. Gox hasn't come out and said they're insolvent. There is a message on the website as of right now that says, hey, we just took everything offline. It's the best interest for our customers. What I think customers. is interesting is that they didn't have that message up last night. Right, it took them 11 I, I went, hours yeah. to do. I, I, it, it's not a long message. It, no. it, this isn't something carefully thought out. It's a couple lines. And the, the site went dark last night. Mt. Gox customers have already been through an awful lot. To just take the site offline and then 11 hours later have this a little... little this Here's what we did. It, it will almost certainly bring more regulatory focus on this area now. If governments were a little bit unsure about Bitcoin and now one of the big, biggest exchanges goes dark for 11 the, hours not the, saying to, anything. To the tune of around hundreds of millions. Of, well, well, It's a big deal. Regardless of what's missing at Mt. Gox, this is hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin. Right. Uh, that's Definitely that's, a bump in the road, but I don't think it kills it. I think it's more that. than a bump in the road. I think you've hit a crater in the road here. It's a mountain Gox in the road. All right. Second headline. Second headline. We don't have the picture of the headline, but that's okay. Uh, 
It was from Guru Focus. But everybody's been talking about it. Everyone's been talking about it. Stocks aren't cheap. And we hear that a lot. The market's overvalued, or maybe fairly valued. But not just that, the fact that there are no traditionally cheap stocks. You cannot find a lot of stocks with low P.E. ratios. Are there no places we can go to find any more cheap stocks? It's a, a big part of this thing. This comes from a, a Goldman report, and it's a, this is about the dispersion of price-to-earnings ratios. Right. That, that during different time periods, we've seen price-to-earnings ratios be... Uh, more widely dispersed. And so during the the 2000, right before the bubble crashed in 1999, 2000, you had a lot of really, really expensive stocks. But not everything was really, really expensive. That You had a lot of things that were skewing the market. Right. And so you could still find cheap stocks uh, within there. Right. Some companies were priced to kind of take over the world from a dot-com area, and then other companies were priced that they were going to go away forever. So there were still some cheap stuff around. So the party line right now is that you don't have that dispersion. Everything is, is sort of in that... 14 to 16 times earnings sort of range that is potentially fairly valued. And here's what Guru Focus said in in the article. There's no bigger driver of investment success than the price that is paid. Valuation is king. And and to an extent, you can't argue with that. The less you pay for something, the the better your investment is going to be. That's that's just how it works out. However, I think I I have a different take on this than, than a lot of the other people who have been covering it from the perspective that if everything's clustered around this one uh, kind of price-to-earnings er- ratio level, that means that you won't necessarily find the traditional cheap stocks that people right. are looking for that are trading at a 10 times uh, P.E. or 12 times P.E. or lower than that. Uh, but the, 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 the companies that are growing well, that should trade above a market P.E., you might be finding better deals on those. Right. So if those are clustered in there with the 14 to 16 times P.E. ratio, then maybe you're getting a better deal on those. So it becomes more important to look at who, what are the companies that are going to grow earnings at a faster rate than the rest of kind of the overall market and look at it from that angle rather than cheap P.E. kind of excluding the, the earnings growth. So focus more on finding the companies that are growing earnings. Well, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't even say that it's focused more on. I, I think that's always got to be your focus. It's always got to be what is this company worth versus what is the market valuing it right. at. And so buying cheap stocks isn't just about saying this has a P.E. of 10 times. It's about saying here's what the company's worth. Here's what I have to pay for it. Granted, if you can get any company at a, at a P.E. of 10, uh, it's better than getting that same company at P of 15. Right. That's just All else equal. Yeah, that, that's just the way it works. But you, there's never the one price-to-earnings ratio that qualifies something as a value stock or a cheap stock. All right. Third headline. This is uh, a little J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan had its, uh, its uh, investor, investor day. day. Uh, the headline is J.P. Morgan announces cuts to profit target and jobs. But, David, was it really... That negative, that makes it sound very negative. What are we really looking at? It's pretty bad. Previous profit target, 16% return on common equity. Now, 15 to 16%. Drastically cutting it. Drastically. I've got to to rethink my position on JP. You're selling because of this, right? Yeah, I'm going to go. I am am not selling here. And 15%, 16% return on equity, on common equity. That's still pretty good for the price you're paying today. Or another reason why I think J.P. Morgan is one of the best stocks, in my opinion, to buy today. Um, so yeah, they had an entire slide dedicated to why their stock is cheap. And I, I mean, maybe it's a little confirmation bias here on my part, but I agreed with everything they were saying. They say 
We can, we're giving back dividends. We're doing share buybacks. We can buy back our shares at a much higher price today, and it would still be a great deal. It's so. not the kind of slide that you typically see right. in Investor Day presentations, so I thought that was pretty interesting. My only comment here is, yeah, duh, the stock is cheap. Yes. I, that, that's, that's my reaction. And even cutting the profit target, what, whatever, from the 16% to 15 to 16%, that is still a very attractive return given the price that you have to pay for JP Morgan stock right now. Indeed. For the focus today... We're going to have you pitch us on a stock. Okay. I, I want to hear about, you said Campus Crest is the name of the yep. company, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about it. Tell me why I should want to buy it or not buy it. Talk me out of it. Talk you I, out of it. That's what I want I'm you supposed to, do. to talk you out of it. Maybe. Okay. All right. Drum roll. Like you said, Long drum roll. Campus Crest Communities, uh, the ticker is CCG. This is a REIT. I know you're not the biggest fan of REITs, but hear me out. Uh, and they're focused on the student housing industry. So imagine a, a campus across the street. There's a plot of land. They buy that, build a student community, and lease it out. Pretty okay. standard business there. And they have three concepts. This based isn't the on, university-owned housing, though. This is, this is not. Okay. So across the street, off-campus housing. The, the median distance from where their communities are to their campuses is 0.5 miles. So pretty close. Um, CEO is Ted Rollins. He's the founder of the company, still running the show over there. And they have three concepts. It's called the Grove. Uh, Copper Beach and Evo. They each cater to a different different demographic. One's a little higher end, one's a little lower end. One's for grad students, one's for undergrad. Um, and what makes them kind of unique in the student housing space, there are some other competitors. They're one of the only ones that's vertically integrated. So they do everything. They look for the, they look for the land, mm-hmm. they build the land, they manage the property. And the reason they, they do that... They don't have a construction company. No, they, contra- they have they a contract. Contra- okay. But they own the Just whole process. And the reason they do this is they think that puts a big focus on accountability in terms of building the land, managing it, leasing it out. They own the whole process. They can control the costs, and there's a lot of accountability uh, in the process there. Now, one of the concerns that comes to a lot of people's mind when they look at college student housing industry is, is enrollment going down? Is college becoming less prevalent in the United States? It's getting a lot of, pretty expensive out there. And the rebuttal to that for Campus Crest is, yes. It's getting expensive, but they focus on public universities. They're not looking at the super high-end private universities that charge $50,000 a year. Uh, They look at kind of two areas. Uh, They call them flagship and non-flagship. So if you think about North Carolina, where they're uh, headquartered, UNC Chapel Hill is a flagship school. UNC Wilmington is a non-flagship school. Gotcha. Okay. So okay. they focus on kind of these so, state So schools. as another example, in Pennsylvania, Penn State, the, the prim- yep. primary campus in State College, that would be, that's the flagship yep. school and then all of the other arms. Okay. Right. Good. So the other arms are their main focus, and they think the demographics fit well with this. The other arms, not the flagship. Right. They focus on okay. the flagship. Around a third of their properties are the flagship schools, around 66%. What do they consider the flagship in California? Berkeley? How Berkeley? I actually, I, I don't know the answer to that. That's that would be an interesting question. Um, so yeah, they focus on that. They like the demographics there because it's cheaper, not ex, not as expensive. Oh, Enrollment okay. is actually going sense. up at these types of colleges, so not a huge concern there. So looking at the stock, what has it done? It's down twenty seven percent. It's not atypical for the REITs right now, right? Exactly. So a little bit of that has to do with is that kind year of over year, year over year, not okay. year to date. Twenty seven percent. So a little bit of that has to do with their balance sheet makeup. They have some variable debt. As interest rates rise, their borrowing costs go up, but also just the broader sell-off that we've right. talked about in the REIT industry. But the performance still looks pretty good to me. What kind of dividend are we looking at? 7% yield as of today. The competitors in the space yield around 5%. So the market's looking at Campus Crest and saying, is this balance sheet the safest 
And I, I would, why, why wouldn't it be? Why wouldn't it be safe? The other ones in the industry have a little bit more equity, just a little bit stronger of a balance sheet right now. As Campus Crest is growing, they're trying to strengthen that. They're aware of the discrepancy that the market is seeing, and they're working towards building a stronger balance sheet there. Uh, but year over year, funds from operations uh, looking at around eighty-one cents per share. Mm-hmm. Stock trades around nine dollars and twenty cents right now. Okay. So about eleven and a half times funds from operation. Competitors trade much higher. Yeah. Um, Competitors have a little bit of a different model. Some of them build on campus, uh, but Campus Crest is starting to do that a little bit. They have kind of their more upscale model building on the campus of your alma mater, UPenn, their, oh. their Evo concept there. Uh, I don't, I, I, I'm guessing that they're not building where I lived. Where probably I lived, not. Because I lived well off campus where most people did not want so, to. So you might, hear, you might hear this space uh, building on campus at a uh, competitor like Education Realty. They're building it on campus, I think, Kentucky. Okay. Um, so they have the optionality to do that if they want to build on campus more. They're not really focusing that on right now. What do you? What? What is the biggest risk here? What is the biggest risk to this? What are? What would keep you? What's the number one thing that would keep you from buying this? I think just the underlying fundamentals of the business. If they start to reach too much, pay too much for properties, the le- the occupancy goes down. That would be the biggest risk. I don't see the balance sheet as a huge risk. Maybe that's the discrepancy in the yield there between it and, it and its competitors, mm-hmm. but it's really just business performance. And if if those numbers, if enrollment numbers do start to trend down, that wouldn't be good. So there are some risks out there, but I'm not too concerned. I think at 7%, you have good upside with a good business here as well. And with a founder-led management team. I mean, if you listen to, get, does, listen does to the these founders guys, still own a big chunk of the, of the business? Well, when it comes to REITs, they can't own a huge portion oh, of Oh, that's it, right. That's um, right. But he is kind of the largest individual shareholder there. And when you listen to these guys talk, they nerd out on some student housing stuff. I mean, this is kind of their whole life, their whole management team. They love this stuff. Um, so I think it's an interesting one to look at. All right. Well, I got to say, I think you've got a good idea here. I'm, I'm going to take, take a closer look at this uh, offline. But the I, I like I like the I like the focus. I, I like the focus on the education housing. I don't have the same concern about enrollment numbers. There are definitely concerns. There's definitely something that needs to be addressed in the cost of education right. and the financing of education. But I don't think that there's a good argument that higher education is becoming less important. I think if anything, right. it's becoming more important. So the real question isn't how do we get kids to stop going to college? It's how do we get college to be more affordable right. for kids. And when, when they go there, they're going to have to have some sort of housing. And so mm-hmm. that, it seems really interesting from that perspective. Um, and from what you've told me, the 7% dividend yield, the 11 and a half times uh, funds from operations, sounds pretty attractive and, and run by the founder. Um, I'd want to take a closer look at who he is mm-hmm. and, and what his background is. But it does sound very interesting. All right. Good find. Let's move on. All right. Uh, we have the mailbag. Mailbag is next. We have an email address. It's WTMI at fool.com. Uh, we love to get emails. Today, we have an email from Brian. It's not really so much a question, but it was a really interesting observation on something we talked about last week. Brian writes, I enjoyed your discussion last week on how much one should invest in bonds and agree with your viewpoint, but have some basic rules and math to back that up. I do not agree with the 100 minus your age theory. I combine two quote-unquote rules that I hear over and over. First, do not invest money in stocks that you will need within five years. Second, when taking money out of your retirement accounts, 3 to 4% per year is appropriate. Therefore, if you are looking to retire within five years, you should start putting some of your assets into bonds or money markets. 
but five years worth of money is only 15 to 20% of your assets. I am 51 and have no money in bonds, 100% stocks. When I'm five years away from retirement, I will move 4% of my assets each year into bonds or cash and keep it level at 20% during retirement for the rest of my life. That way, I will not be worried about a potential drop in the stock market over the short term and I will continue to earn the higher long-term returns of stocks. We were talking about this last week. We were talking about when it makes sense, if it makes sense to own bonds, given the, the higher returns that people have historically gotten from stocks and the extent to which the risk in stocks uh, attenuates over a longer period of time. And I think Brian here has, has a really, I, I, hadn't, I, I haven't heard of anybody doing this particular approach before, but I think it's really smart. I think it is. Sounds like a great idea, and based on your risk tolerance, you can ratchet up that percentage. He says three to four percent mm-hmm. a year for the couple years before retirement. If you were a little bit more nervous, you could do seven percent a year, eight percent a year. So you could change it based on where your risk tolerance is. But I think it's a good idea. Yeah. All right. Uh, the game for today: a little bit of would you rather? Typical would you rather rules. We've got a scenario. You pick one or the other. First scenario we've got here. Would you rather, David, have Warren Buffett's brain or his fame? Got to go with the fame. Really? Got to. You got to go with I the I mean, fame? the brain is pretty impressive, but the, every word this guy says gets turned into a thousand quote <laughs> articles and every media outlet is talking about it. It'd be, it'd be pretty cool. I'm, be going, I'm, I'm going with the brain. I'm going with the brain because I don't need the fame. I don't want that. I, I think he, he actually seems like he revels in it. Because he has the opportunity to not go on CNBC as much as he does. Um, But he does. I I think he likes it. That's fine for him. I would rather not be be, be bothered by that all the time. I would rather have his brain be able to make the kind of money that he made, be able to think the way that that, that he's thought over the years. I'm going brain. All right. That's fair. Second scenario. Would you rather be the CEO of PNC or Wells Fargo? I'm going with PNC. Well, Wells Fargo, you've got a, a maybe more of a cush situation to start out with. Uh, largest market share, largest position in the U.S. But PNC, you're kind of the scrappy underdog. You're not really that much of an underdog because PNC is already a really big right. bank. But you're the underdog. I like that position. I like the challenge. Uh, and, and I think I would build on what PNC is already doing there, what Bill Demchek is already doing there, grow the bank, move to sort of a 21st century kind of approach to the bank, trim branches, make the, make the current branches more computery, computerized, mm-hmm. digitized, whatever, however you want to go with that. I'm going with PNC. I'm going with Wells Fargo. You would. You got to. You don't got to. You I got just to. didn't. PNC is basically trying to get where Wells Fargo is. Maybe a little bit different in terms of the road Think they get Think about there. how great you would feel if you fell. You're, you're, da- you're the David of PNC versus the Goliath of Wells Fargo. Well, take you down. I don't know if Wells Fargo Wells Fargo is a Goliath in the U.S. Yes, it has the biggest market cap of the banks there. But I think they have a lot of opportunity well, too a, to it's, go. It's a Goliath to, to go do whatever they want as well. They can go internationally if they would like. If you're if you're CEO of Wells Fargo, you're taking that model overseas. Perhaps not. They can grow the investment <laughs> bank more. They can. They have. They have the ability to make uh, technology. Are you growing the invest? Is that what is that what would be your focus in growing? The I got a lot of focuses. I'm making like thirty mil. I can do whatever I want. <laughs> so you're, you're going to be paid even more than John Stump. Yeah. Who's already the highest paid of the big bank CEOs. That's justified. It's justified. Is he? I believe so, yeah. Okay. May, actually... I think Diamond got more. No, I don't think Diamond got more. Really? We'll check it out. I don't think that's true. I don't think that's true. Anyway, PNC taking you down. Okay. Third and final scenario. Would you rather be Mark Zuckerberg 
or be able to create a force field around yourself? Zuckerberg, no doubt. Really? He's already got a force field around him. You get both. He doesn't have a force field Essentially. About. It's amazing. I don't even know what that means. Who are you going with? I'm you going with the force field. Okay. Think about how cool that would be. What would you use it for? Being a superhero. In like what, though? Would you like walk in front of cars? Anything, anything that I want. I would, I would just do random things in order to show off. I would do it when like, the metro building. is really crowded. You could just like, move through everyone. You would be a jerk about it. Yeah, That's, for sure. I would, I, would, I would be a hero. I would go into New York City. I would try to do good things. You're, you're just trying to bump people out of the way yeah. to get to work a little faster. Exactly. You got to. Wow. Wow. That's brutal. All right. On that note, let's finish off in the Twitter sphere. David, what's our first tweet? First tweet is from PayPal, at PayPal. Keep your money to yourself. Hashtag PayPal it for a safer way to play. And they tweeted this last night during the Mount Gox kind of fiasco, and they didn't call out Bitcoin. But I think it's pretty safe to say that's who they were talking to. I think it's very safe to say, and I'm going to say that's a savvy tweet. Second tweet, we've got Kate. This is at Kate Hall. I knew it couldn't be possible for the many funny bankers, for that many funny bankers to actually exist. The Goldman Sachs elevator was too good to be true. Are you sad that it's been revealed that GS, at GS Elevator is not actually a Goldman Sachs employee? I am a little bit sad. He, his name was John Levray. Lefray? I don't know how it Lefebvre. says. Lefebvre. Uh, he's a 34-year-old former Bond executive, apparently worked at Citigroup. My favorite actually, part... He had an offer to work at Goldman Sachs. My favorite part was Goldman Sachs actually made a statement on this. I know. I, I was just about to say read, the read the statement. Tell them, tell them what you got. Uh, Goldman Sachs uh, spokesman said, we are pleased to report that the official ban on talking in elevators will be lifted effective immediately. It's good to see Goldman loosen it's, up a little It bit. is good to see They're Goldman. They're a little too uptight sometimes. Second tweet. Third tweet. Third tweet. This one's from Gallup News. Business leaders say knowledge trumps college pedigree. You went to a college with a big pedigree. Does my knowledge trump you? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's classic. That's classic. What, what the Gallup poll showed is that employers today are looking for, basically looking for employees that can do the job as opposed to have a resume and have a college pedigree that, that's going to say um, uh, something like, Ivy I went League. to, yeah, Ivy League. I went to a, it's really a good fancy thing. school. It is a good, you think it's a good thing? I think it's a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing. I think okay. pedigree still trumps everything else. <laughs> Fourth tweet. This is from uh, Laura Marcinek, Corbat. That's uh, Mike Corbat of Citigroup. Corbat, if you use the words banking and boring in the same sentence, I'll take it. Sounds like U.S. Bank CEO Richard Davis. That does sound like Richard Davis. Corbat getting boring. You like it? I Yeah. I, I like it, and I think the market likes it. And we talked about Mike Corbat. We talked about the fact that the valuation multiple on Citigroup has moved up. That's the market moving it, and I think that's what they're seeing is that this is a boring banker coming to Citigroup, bringing a new era to Citigroup. Final tweet. This is from Bored Elon Musk. I love Bored Elon Musk. At Bored Elon Musk. Mount Gox was originally a marketplace for trading magic, the gathering cards, and today someone played... Mystic evaporate, evaporating money spell. Explain this to me. I'm not. I, I hate that I have to do this. I hate that I have to put myself out there as just how, how much of a nerd I am. But I used to play back in middle school. I played a little Magic: The Gathering. It's all about uh, uh, you cast spells and, and that sort of thing. And so apparently somebody cast a spell on the Mount Gox Exchange, and that's why it disappeared. I hate that you. I hate that you put me under the bus. Like I, that. I don't even know what to say. I've never heard of magic. You've never heard of Magic the Gathering. Yeah. I think that says more about you than it does about me. 
Did you live under a rock? Says a lot about you, that's for sure. No, it does. Did you live under a rock for the last... No, I did, like, normal things. I, like, played basketball. I didn't play (laughs) Magic the Gathering. There's nothing wrong with Magic the Gathering. It's very fun. A little something wrong. All right, that's the show for today. If you're listening to us on podcast form, go over to Apple. Go over to iTunes. Give us a rating. Be four or five stars. Why not? We're, We're good people. If you're not listening to us on podcast yet, you can go to Apple iTunes. Download the podcast there. You can also go to Swell. You can also go to Stitcher and find the show there. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. We'll see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.